0: It really means a lot to us that the amount of you who do support us continue to do so. Especially our $25 plus tier supporters on Patreon. Antitonic, Catwaterflame, Samantha Bates, Maureen Monty, and Gravity Alexander. Every little bit helps, so thank you to all of our patrons and subs. Check us out on Twitter at Final Show Films and on our website at www.finalshowfilms.com for updates, go live notifications, and more. We love interacting with you, so feel free to tweet at us or email us at finalshowfilms at gmail.com. That being said, please relax and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, Episode Forty Nine, where we're going to be talking about Critical Role, Episode Forty Eight, uh, Into the wheel uh, I'm John at John A. Bates, and joining me today is Jeremy.
1: Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm at J. Thomas
2: Mania on Twitter. And Jack. Hey, everybody. I'm Jack. I'm at Alt F Four Gamers on Twitter.
0: And this episode, uh, again, into the Frostwield, is star stars Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Towson Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Lima Bryan as Vaxodon, Marisha Ray as Kayla, Sam Real as Scanlan, Charles Willingham as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Uh, Jeremy, you took the first part at this time, didn't you? Yes, I did. You, um, you did the previously on.
1: Yes, and I am literally just reading it straight out of Matt's thing <laughs> because, well, I didn't want to recap. Um, recap that. I'll recap the actual episode. Anyways. Uh, so, uh, previously, uh, uh, this is slightly a bridge box. Machina, uh, is, is wandering around, uh, uh, trying to find the vestiges of divergence in hopes of eventually, uh, defeating the, the chroma conclave, uh, a, a group of chromatic dragons that have basically decided that they're going to roll Tal'Dorei and, Everything else, uh, they return to the city of Westrin, an area that was very significant to them in their early days, to find that from a distance, it had been partially destroyed by a dragon attack a couple weeks before, and has since been taken over by what looks to be the remnants of Grog's old herd of barbarians and 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 the like. Um, I, it was decided at the time that it was not probably the best time to face this group. They're too strong. They don't. the The party doesn't have what they need, and so they decided to continue heading southward in the direction of the Frostwield, in the hopes that they can find the mate of uh, Osisa, uh the excuse me, uh, the Sphinx that they had met in Vasselheim who would give them information on where the vestiges might be. And that is where we start off. So, picking up from the previous episode, uh, the party has south, uh, does head south of western in their mist form from Kielispell, uh, eventually coming inside of Kaimel and discovering a refugee camp of about 50 to 60 people. Uh, Vex takes the initiative and floats down, with the rest of the party following behind and taking their physical form, because they can't really discuss it at the time because they're missed. Uh, the group considers some options of, of, of what to do, uh, including possibly transporting the camp to Whitestone. Um, but either way, the, no matter what they do, they would have to stay there for the night, because Keyleth has utilized her highest level magic. Uh, they decide to quietly approach to learn more and talk to the people of uh, X and Vax. Get closer and see a familiar face or two, including a uh, uh, Desvina, Dresvina, Dresvina, who originally contacted the group way back in the early pre-stream days and sent them on their first mission. Uh, the party does end up approaching with Scanlan singing a song to set everybody at ease. Which surprise, surprise! While it is very successful, a group of haggard-looking adventurers coming into view with one of them singing doesn't necessarily set the set the guards at ease. Um, they are still very pun intended guarded. Um, however, luckily for them, the appearance uh, the appearance of Eloin a woman who they helped long ago by finding her missing child, eases the situation and helps get them past the guard. Uh, They have a a fairly charming set of interactions with Simon, uh, who is Elowen's young son, while Vex talks with Elowen and learns that this place is where the majority of the refugees are. Uh, The person in charge at the camp is a bookbinder from Western who's named Cornelius. And they decide to go to speak with him. Uh, while they're on the way, Grog's presence earns more than a few looks of hatred from the uh, because of of the herd's actions in Western. Uh, Grog, Can we talk for a minute.
2: Yeah, go um, ahead. About the Matt's choice to use the now the collective noun of herd. For a roving war band of Goliaths.
1: It is an interesting choice because I think herd and I think a I do not think a a, a a large group of predators. Right. I think a large group of prey animals. Right,
2: exactly. And I mean, granted, you know, herd in in reality is tends towards I mean it, it does tend towards mammals, and anybody who's watched The Lion King knows that a large herd can murder the shit out of some things, easily enough.
0: Um, You mean like a Mufasa?
2: I, I would say that that the that the murder and murder potential of of your average large group of hooved mammals could be used as a as a a number of Mufasas.
0: that'd be a
2: suitable so, unit of measurement. So, so
1: Amazingly enough, that's a spoiler <laughs> alert for a twenty-year-old movie and a and a two-month-old movie <laughs> at
2: the same time. So we'll so Three we'll remakes.
0: so hey, we'll refer to we'll refer to let's say. One murder by a herd as a Mufasa, right? How many exactly. how many mufasas do you think the herd of Storm have?
2: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm saying you're you're they're probably in the kilo Mufasa range at this point.
0: <laughs> one, one k Mufasa, you know? Well, yeah, one to two k Mufasas.
2: Right, probably at at this
0: age. We'll call it this We'll we'll shorten it to KMF. So KMF, yeah, okay. they're like two yeah. KMFs. So they're going to rock you? <laughs> yes, Sorry. exactly. That's K
1: L F, but I couldn't resist <laughs> the obscure 1990s <laughs> rock hip hop reference.
0: What are we here for if not obscure if not 1980s to 1990s uh, references? If you're not already a Patreon, please go be one because, goddamn, if <laughs>
1: 3 a.m. Eternal forever, man.
0: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but no, uh, no, I, I think it's in, I think it's interesting to use that term. It, it implies an amount of animalistic nature mm-hmm. to the herd uh, that that like any other name might not imply. It makes right. them narratively. It makes the herd of storms a force of nature as opposed to an organized group of people. Uh-huh.
1: You're not wrong. I would argue that I think the term <clears throat> herd is very accurate in, in, in sort of a different way, in that the herd here is is a group of individuals who, by and large, perhaps are not the worst people, it's always it, it, it seems to be dependent on who leads them. Mm-hmm. And so they are being guided or you could say shepherded <laughs> by in this case, right now, uh uh, 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 uh yeah, Kevdak. And it's a situation where the person in charge is determining sort of the alignment, or the the not necessarily the alignment. Actually, no, yeah, as a group, <laughs> the alignment of 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 the community. And so, in that way, I think it's very accurate.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think is and also
2: and also could potentially hint at a past wherein Goliaths were less prone to the roving marauder <laughs> lifestyle and more simply a nomadic existence mm-hmm. living off the land type style. Anyway, there's lots that you could unpack just from that simple word. And that's part of the th- the reason that I am hugely invested in Matt Mercer as a world builder, because he does shit like this right. and then and then frequently doesn't really necessarily explain it too deeply, letting us just go to town on what could or might be inferred from a simple word choice
1: yeah Yeah, and as and as we know from pretty much everything that we've learned throughout even just the campaign so far but going forward even into the second campaign none of this stuff is done accidentally either no you're right like there is there is several years of evidence that each of these every name every term is chosen very specifically
0: yeah names names have in in, in especially in fantasy narrative but in any yeah. narrative oh, yeah. names have a lot of importance uh, as far as uh, symbology and storytelling goes the the sort of the example that i go to i when i was in school <clears throat> when i was in film school i wrote a script for uh, a, a a movie with a working title of Children of War, I never completed it. Uh, I never really completed the script, but the 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 essence of it was that it was a story about child soldiers fighting a global government uh, that was sort of repressing everyone's freedoms and things like that. And all of the children in the in the film were named after uh, non-Christianity gods whereas all of the adults in the film were given traditional biblical names uh and that sort of sets that by itself sets uh an inference as to the nature of the story and mm. then just going through it if you're familiar with the names you can guess character traits for example one of the lead characters was uh, was a young man named Ares. guess what he's good at like uh N- names are important muffins <laughs> he's good at making Murder. muffins um <laughs> names are names are very important and it, it, it for a lot of different reasons and they're a really good way to detail in a very shorthand form what a character or what a society or what a what a group is about um so yeah it, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. no the, i think i think heard as a as a naming convention for this particular group of Goliaths is very appropriate and instantly tells you a little bit about them, and as you learn more, reveals even more narratively about them.
1: Yep. Yep, absolutely.
0: Um, I did want to go back slightly uh, and talk about the concept of the adventuring party and how that looks to normal people because you mentioned you mentioned like like this group of adventurers with the one singing bard coming up to this you know this group of refugees and how that kind of puts the guards on edge and one of the things that i've played with before uh in in my in my narrative storytelling and that is is the thing that i really enjoy whenever it is played with is the concept of the adventurer and and what that means in a society um especially in a fantasy society in, in modern day society as well. Like, like when, when you think about modern day society, who would you think of would be an adventurer in real life?
2: So for me, I've always gone to the, the, the hired soldier mercenary kind of archetype, which is a thing. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, a bounty hunter yeah. which is also a thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, also, those are the two things that always kind of jump to the forefront of my mind, but there are others. Yeah.
0: If you, if you jump a little bit further back in, in, in our, in our history, you know, back to the 1920s, an explorer would be an adventure, uh-huh. someone that, you know, someone that goes out into the air quotes, untamed, uh, brackets, not actually untamed, just, we've never been there before in brackets, uh, lands and sort of finds out what's just there. No white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, You know, and that kind of person might be considered an adventurer. And so they have very different and very distinct ways of interacting with the world. And in a fantasy setting, considering that lots of adventurers are player characters and by default, a lot of player characters tend to end up being murder hobos. That sets a precedent. Yep. Which I find fascinating when you play with that, like like how do, how does how do these people react when they see this group of adventurers that you can tell from a mile off are adventurers capital A,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, because because I've I've always loved give, given the sort of stereotypical <laughs> actions of player characters in these types of games, I've always liked the concept that adventurers are very welcome when you have a specific sort of problem that is dominating your environment. As soon as that problem is no longer dominating your environment, adventurers are the last fucking people you want around.
0: Legit. Yeah. And that's just something that I, I really, I find particularly interesting. We, oh, yeah, we yeah. can yeah. go back on the subject now. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Um. So, uh, uh, Cornelius explains that they've been out there for a couple weeks and have been dealing with with uh, uh, raiders, orc raiders specifically. Um, the 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 group, the party, makes the offer to to send the refugee camp to Whitestone, and Cornelius says he's liable to take them up on that, but they need to retrieve some missing people first. Um. Cornelius says that the orcs are coming from the frost wield. That's awfully convenient because that's where they're headed. And Cornelius says that his brother Cyrus is among the missing. So the the group decides to bed down until the morning. Uh, Keyleth uses her remaining spells for the night to heal the wounded and sick. Percy writes a letter informing Cassandra of the new visitors and asking that Pike be sent over. I believe the exact phrase is demanding that Pike be sent over. But, <laughs> you know, uh they ask Elwin to be the to 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 locate Pike since she knows what Pike looks like. Uh in the morning, in a delightful little scene, Vex is flying on the broom. Uh, 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 and sort of wowing the crowd, and tries to do some tricks, resulting in her fucking it up and falling when she rolls a that one. Uh, she manages to play it off, but it still it it still hurts. Uh,
0: adventurers this... and their adventurers and their toys. <laughs>
1: yep uh-huh. they end up bringing the small group of people that they are that they are they are taking to Whitestone. Uh, which is the the wounded, the sick, children, people who, who probably shouldn't be staying at this refugee camp. Um, on a two hour walk to the nearest tree uh, and transport the group through via Kila's Magic. As they go through, uh, two figures approach. Uh, one of them is Drezvina, and one of them is an older individual, Master Qual, who is Drez's employer. Uh, Qual very quickly takes over the conversation and says that he wants to hire the group when they return to Western to retrieve an experiment that he had to leave there. Uh, uh, Vex <laughs> is very Vex-like and decides to insight roll, rolls well, and gets a whisper. Uh, Qual says he is a creator of golems and the item is a circlet in his basement. Um... Scanlan casually drops the information that they're looking for the vestiges of divergence, which the party isn't that pleased about. About the fact that he told them. Um, all of a sudden, at that point when things are getting a little bit argy, uh, Pike teleports in. The party's very happy reaction. Uh, Percy manages to get Qual to admit that the circlet is for his protection. Are the exact words used? And Vex says that they will get it when they return to Westroom. Uh, they try to see if they can get some information about Ossisa's mate from Qual, but he's not familiar with the situation. Pike says things are going well enough in Whitestone. No dragon attacks. Everyone seems to be okay, including Gilmore. And the group heads back to the outpost, where Qual gives them a, a, an, an item that can detect magical items and that i believe is where i hand off to jack
0: a magical Absolutely. a magical metal detector
2: yes pretty much which as i recall a serves as kind of down payment on yes you'll go get my protective circlet thing and also b this will help you know that you grab the right circlet when you go get it yeah given that the item is magic and Um, And for a group with no wizard, this is a really helpful gimmick to have. Um, Foreshadowing of Liam's primary role in campaign two.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wizards are useful. Never take them for granted.
2: Never take them for granted.
0: Abuse them if need
2: be. Abuse them them because it's fun. But, but never <laughs> taken for granted.
0: We have a really... There's a lot of wizard hate in Final Show films, and I'm very... Which is
2: why I constantly liked playing wizards.
0: I, I like wizards, so it's like, I don't know...
2: Sorcerers <laughs> and warlocks, man. Fuck
0: wizards. I like I like sorcerers <laughs> and warlocks, too. I just also like wizards.
2: Yeah, But anyway, so having gotten all their shit more or less together, the group is heading off into the Frostweald very uh very iconic environment um obviously very cold for historical reasons that aren't really delved into uh and in this uh arc of narrative through through Taldore but um very arctic arboreal type environment heavily forested deep snow um, which of course Pike and Scanlan have their own issues with um, but before they go too far um, there is a there is a transfer of property as grog bestows on his oldest and best friend uh, his gauntlets of ogre strength which apparently he's had for quite some time um, but, Due to the nature of the the most magical items that one can carry, uh, I believe Grog had unattuned to them uh, previously and thought, you know what, Pike hits things with weapons sometimes, and she's my bestie, so let's let's give these to her. Pike is of course elated uh, with with the the presents and definitely puts them on and utilizes them to good use at every point going forward. Um. But they spend some time investigating the frost wield and and trying to get on the trail of both the hostages and looking for for uh, evidence of Osisa's husband, uh, which they do not initially, at least, find uh, at any time in the immediate uh, sequence. Um, but pushing into this fairly hostile environment and utilizing some some. Uh, cold weather garments that they had on, re- on reserve from other times when they were exposed to these sorts of of weather patterns. Uh, they make some progress in before Scanlin once again recreates his mansion uh, this time with hope of impressing Pike significantly uh, by the by the feet. <laughs> They go inside for their evening's rest. There is, of course, chicken to be had uh, for those that are hungry. Um, and there's there's a pair of, of interactions that are sort of, of decent character beat moments. One is Scanlan dem- uh, showing Pike her room that he made for her uh, with with. a a number of individual touches that are uh directed towards her her personal preferences and tastes as well as uh, a small shrine to Saren ray the the goddess for which she holds the the greatest veneration that apparently you can pull on to open up a secret passage between pike's room and scanlon's room
0: yeah i was about to i was about to comment on that part (laughs) right her immediate response is oh that's lovely is there a
2: lock to which he reacts uh, yes but only on my side uh giving once again returning to the fact that scanlan's a little rapey um a little but <laughs> i that was, a, that was <laughs>
0: being generous scanlan is the sean connery of vox machina <laughs>
2: Oh, wow. Scanlan is the celebrity Jeopardy! Saturday Night Live version of Sean Connery for Vox Machina. But yes, you're absolutely right. (laughs) I don't remember how it ends, but your mother's a whore. Um, (laughs) So there's that, which is, you know, once again, efforts by Scanlan rebuffed by Pike and he sort of tries to laugh it off, but you know, it's 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 only as uncomfortable as Pike is willing to admit. Pivoting then to the Half Elf twins, where so during this entire journey into the Frost Vax was avoiding Pike for story reasons, wherein she is very insightful, very observant, the 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 most knowledgeable on religious matters of anybody uh, in the group. And Vax may have made an uncomfortable bargain with the Raven Queen that he's not really wanting to talk about. And she, of course, definitely notices, but doesn't push the issue. Vex, however, this is her brother, and she's absolutely going to push the issue. So she confronts him, um, and honestly, pursues it in a very Vex-like way, specifically with her brother. She is exceptionally caring and supportive of him. She's trying to look on the brightest side possible. She has that book that she'd acquired a few cities ago that has information on the Raven Queen. She's trying to pull out all of the positive aspects to the goddess of death and fate, uh, which is, you know, a little bit of a tall order sometimes, but definitely attempting to encourage her brother (laughs) given that he is leaning heavy into his emo aspects. And honestly, I think it just comes across as adorable and sweet and very, very affirming of the relationship between these two characters. It's a great little sequence. Go back and watch it. That leads into uh, Percy needing We're up doing a little bit of standard tinkering trying to trying to sorry do some... you
0: you your your audio cut in and out there for a second percy needing no. a what a workshop okay i heard percy needing a quop, and i was very confused well you know
2: i that's probably how they pronounce it in Whitestone. i i'm sure but getting basically there's there's some general logistical things happened and then they crash for the night. Fast forward to the next morning, where the entire group meets for breakfast. And given that this is the first time that that Pike spent the night in the mansion, they're explaining to her the fact that everything is chicken-based in terms of whatever the, the food is. And Vex decides to show off her new broom as well. Because I believe this is the first time that Pike has really gotten to see that Vex has something she can fly on.
0: Before we go any further,
2: Uh I
0: just want to talk about karmic retribution. Okay. So, oftentimes, in a variety of different narratives, it's very prominent in sports entertainment, wrestling, things like that. Um, Bad guy characters... Or or characters that are problematic or characters that do bad things for good reasons or whatever. It's narratively satisfying when they achieve a comeuppance. When something happens that causes them to regret or rue or just be punished for the things they have done.
2: And these don't even have to be like bad guy, like actual villain characters. No. These can just, these can be more or less protagonist characters that have some negative aspects to them.
0: Draco Malfoy getting punched in the face by Hermione Granger. Draco's right. not Draco's not a villain per se, although he does fall into the villain category, but he's mostly just a prick and then eventually gets just straight up fucking jacked in the face.
2: Right. Or uh, or Avatar the Last Airbender. Sokka during his more patriarchal moments. Eventually, getting the shit slapped out of him by a bunch of the Kiyoshi warriors.
0: Yeah, things like that. This is this is a, this is a recurring this is a recurring uh, event and trope that you can find lots of examples of in a variety of media, except in WWE, who never give Stephanie McMahon her comeuppance. But that's a separate issue. <laughs>
1: Yup <laughs> fucking re- get me started on that bullshit.
2: Right. And I think the reason that this is more of a trope that very rarely ever cliche is because it's based on more or less accepted values. Um and it's when it's 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 honestly kind of hard to fuck this trope up in a way that's not at least somewhat emotionally satisfying for the audience. Yeah. So most... Right. Nine times out of ten, it's something that the audience wants to see and enjoys having happen. It's a form of catharsis. We all, right, we, everybody, cathartic.
0: Yeah. Everybody enjoys seeing the bad guy get kicked in the nuts.
2: Right. Yep. Everyone. Because he, he deserves it and we would have liked to have done that ourselves.
0: So I just wanted, I just wanted to comment on that before you end this part of the, of the discussion. Please continue.
2: So... So Vex is going to show off her broom to Pike, who hasn't really gotten a chance to see it, and also Vex likes showing off when she's good at something.
0: Um and Not that there has been any evidence that she is good at this.
2: Well, <laughs> she's good with a bow and arrow, and she likes her broom. So of course she's going to try and combine those two in an effort to display her 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 personal achievements since she last saw Pike. Because everybody loves Pike. Mm. And wants Pike to like them back. So they get some of the servants together with many of the extra chickens that are always on hand in Scanlan's mansion. And Pike ta- er, and Pike uh, prepares to observe as Vex takes to the air. And there's there's a level of of clay pigeon shooting where the pigeons are neither clay and also mostly chickens. Uh, and Vex is up in the air with them while doing the shooting. <clears throat> First effort, given that Vex is in a difficult and somewhat unfamiliar situation to be employing her her normal method of attack. She rolls a disadvantage and rolls a natural one on her effort to shoot one of the chickens out of the air while she is flying on a broom at the same time. And Mercer narrates the trajectory of the descending chicken and Vex's focus on that rather than considering what might be in the back angle of the target once the the chicken has been shot. And let's just say that the scene then freezes on Scanlan with a cloth yard arrow and a chicken on it sticking out of his neck.
1: (laughs) Screeching and screaming. (laughs)
2: Screaming. And it's a magnificent comedic moment.
0: Yep. And while it was never intended (gasps) to be this thing, it is a perfect follow-up to the previous scenes.
2: (laughs) Of him being kinda rapey at Pike.
0: Yes. (laughs) This is exactly, like, you couldn't have written this better. Of a character being very much, you know, very much how people refer to James Bond as a sex pest. Um, Right. uh being very much a sex pest and then two scenes later getting shot in the neck for his troubles
2: (laughs) yep it's delightful shot Uh,
0: in the neck by a shot in the neck by a chicken yes so much symbolism it's it's so good
2: it's 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 fantastic um of course the injury is immediately very very rapidly handled given that there are multiple people in the room at the moment who have access to magic, but 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 the statement has been made and and certainly served its purpose. Um, and and uh, afterwards, more chickens are shot with which much with much greater facility. Now that now that the initial uh, the initial pass has been has been finalized. Yep. After breakfast, however, they move further into the Frostwield Forest. Um and. Poking around, looking for either evidence of the raiders that had kidnapped the the people from the refugee camp, or more knowledge of potential hiding sphinxes or something, they stumble across a novelist, large stone uh, spire uh, that seems to be engraved with some level of symbols and script, um, and eventually they are able to determine that this is an obelisk uh, to I the goddess Ayun, goddess of knowledge, and the one who is connected to Osisa back in uh, back on the other continent. And ostensibly one would assume uh, her her uh, long-distance relationship husband who's somewhere in this area and, again, has more knowledge on these vestiges of divergence that that the group is looking for, which is, again, the reason they're trying to find him in the first place. Um, Keyleth is able to read the uh, inscription towards the bottom after moving some of the snow out of the way, and it simply says in Elvish, a name is earned, which is going to be a phrase that we'll re- be repeated uh and come back to haunt this group somewhat over the next short term period there's also a small recessed kind of a triangular
0: pyramid-esque out of of curiosity was this before when what was this what time frame was this episode in relation to game of thrones um let's see
1: this what this episode took place hold on uh because the
0: name is Do earned is very much the uh, the uh, the Assassin Brotherhood in Game of Thrones.
2: Yeah. Mm, I mean, it's 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 reminiscent it's a similar to yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. the, the 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 catchphrase over there is something different. And I haven't watched Game of Thrones recently enough to remember much about it. But yeah, this
1: would have been season. Hold on. Uh, seven. So it'd have been like season six. So this would have been a couple season a couple years uh after, I believe.
0: After the introduction of the Faceless Men? Because of the Faceless yeah. Men? Yeah. They were Faceless
1: Men, so two, um, two, five, and Six. Uh uh J- uh, uh, uh
0: Jakin? Yeah, Jaken.
1: Yeah Jakin mm-hmm. was first introduced in season
0: three. Uh two. two season or three. two
1: um right at the end of two then
0: yeah it was right at the end um, of two and, and then, then he came then, back in five and six in the
1: car. Yeah. and then yeah five and six so yeah which was when Arya was off in in bravo uh so yeah this would have been a couple of years well uh, no five and six so that would have been the year before and 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 the year up but it is a different for it's close
0: yeah, no, yeah. no, it's not. It's not the same phrase, but it just—it's one of those things that reminds me of that
1: very much. So it's, it, 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 it's the the it's the 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 sentence structure is very similar to how Jakon speaks. specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. And a name is earned is actually going to be is actually the title of the episode that we will be doing next, uh, it's which I will one, have yeah, very different
1: thoughts one. about compared to this one.
2: <clears throat> I'm sure. Uh, but the phrase, at least, uh, and based on the symbology and whatnot—that's uh, the symbolism on the on the obelisk—it's associated with iune, So they're already starting to think Sphinx word at this point. But they also notice that there are a number of stones nearby. They find a broken uh, stone arm statue, off of the statue, and suddenly realize that there are multiple statues in varying positions. I think Percy is the one who first asked: is this like a classically arranged type thing, or are they sort of in odd or dynamic postures? Because... Percy, being a tactician, is automatically starting to think, uh, and the answer is given that yes, there some of them are in defensive and some of them are in aggressive postures and that sort of thing. And then Percy immediately goes shit basilisks and starts getting everybody on edge that way. Given also that the environment is one of snow and that there are very few bird calls around, referenced both as possibly a uh, due to the the frigid temperatures but also more likely i would say due to the presence or potential presence of predatory creatures in the area and that's when the predators attack which i
0: think is where john picks up yeah just just after they start attacking is where mine right. and and most of my section is combat because they're fighting the basilisks <clears throat> for a while basilisk fights to be long because you have to look away from the basilisks and not look them in the eyes and try to swing at them but you're not looking at them and there is a point in the middle of this where uh, Keyleth turns into a giant scorpion in order to not have to look at them because scorpions have blind sight and I just want to comment that um, uh, for anyone who uh, plays D&D or any, role, any tabletop role playing game ever understand that sometimes the GM gets fixated on something really weird and it's not because they're trying to be an asshole but because they have so many things juggling through their brains so at the I was really feeling for Mercer when he gets to the point where it's like where Keila turns into a scorpion who has blind sight and so doesn't have to uh, doesn't have to avert their gaze but he right. had asked previously if she had averted her gaze so yes so he was like okay uh, if avert gaze equals yes then attack at disadvantage Without considering the fact that the situation had changed between that first step and the actual attack yep. being made. Right. It's yep. like mm-hmm. no, I I completely just looking at Matt and looking at him trying to get across this information that is not accurate anymore. It's just I felt a lot for him because it's like Oh, I've been there. It's like yep. yeah, we've all all of us have been there. Every Everybody, single one yeah, of yeah. us. <laughs> it's just because you have this again, like it your brain does a lot of shortcutting when you're GMing and it's a lot of if this then that mm-hmm. and so it's really it's really hard to it's really hard uh, when you're having to process a lot of information to dynamically adjust that mm-hmm. <laughs> which it took them a little bit but uh, the group fights with the basilisks uh, pretty quickly ending them there's there are, there are about three or four of them that they're fighting and they're pretty quickly uh, able to knock them out one after another after another after another Uh, in the middle of the fight in the middle of the fight uh, uh, Scanlan drops a fireball into the basilisk burrows that they're standing around collapsing about half of the structure uh, that is that is below them and causing the ground to sag in places. And while still finishing off uh, some of the other basilisks, uh, Kielith in her scorpion form can sort of sense that there are more basilisks approaching from the ground, and so shifts back out and uh, slams a wall of stone over the remaining basilisk holes. Which Grog then takes, uh, basically stands over and golf swings any basilisks that break through the stone. Which one at one at the very least does. Um, but they're able to, they're able to pretty quickly and efficiently and without any harm to themselves deal with the Basilisks. Uh, Vex uh, sort of flies around on her broom to find perches rather than trying to fire while flying. Um, Vax... Vex does that. Vax uh, sort of dashes away and flings Daggers from a great distance with his sharpshooter feet. Uh, Percy dashes around the battlefield, firing off with his pistol, uh, also using the sharpshooter feet, and Grog obviously rages out and just smashes the crap out of things with his weapons. Eventually, they, eventually the Basilisk attack dies down. And as it it does, they begin investigating the obelisk. Uh, And they try a couple of different things, sort of while the Basilisks are trying to get them, and then continuing on into after the Basilisks have stopped trying to get them. Uh, Keyleth tries yelling a variety of things, both in Elvish and Common, into the little triangular hole that's in the obelisk, uh, and Scanlan eventually uh, takes his Ayud stone that he has and puts it in the obelisk, which causes it to glow. And as it glows, they sort of notice off in the distance that another obelisk further into the mountainside glows in response. Uh, there's a bit of a back and forth about whether or not Keyleth had taken uh, Find the Path or kept Find the Path this morning, uh, and about how 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 taking spells on a daily basis for druids works kind of um but they determine that Kilith has access to find the path she casts find the path and is able to from now on basically has a beacon to that other beacon a magical beacon to the other magical beacon um after nice to
2: have nice to have a mental mini map with waypoints on it
0: yes it's really nice uh, they begin preparing to head out and do some last minute investigating as they do Pike gathering up some basilisk blood because it's useful in re- in reversing petrification uh, if it happens pretty if you use it pretty quickly after the petrification sets in uh, and vex and vax sort of look around the ruins around the, the obelisk vax uh, vax uh, with his keen perception discovers uh, the petrified form of why can't I think of his name, Tyriok? No. Yes. Tyriok. Yes. Yes. Tyrion. Mm-hmm. the map maker, whom they met previously in uh, way back, way the Vasselheim. back, Vasselheim,
1: wasn't it? Vasselheim. Yeah, yeah it was
0: they, definitely Vasselheim.
1: Whom they met. Gadsworth. Yeah,
0: Wh- whom they met previously in Vasselheim. This very sort of n- nerdy, geeky map maker, um, who ended up leaving Vasselheim and and traveling the world, making his maps. Uh, he's sort of half submerged in the snow with his arms stretched out and his uh, right arm missing at the elbow, basically. Vax, at first, doesn't want to tell anybody about it because he he feels like there's nothing they can do about him. Uh, but eventually, uh, after thinking about it for a moment, before they set off, goes over to Pike and asks her if there's anything she could do about it. Pike goes over, finds him, while Vax sort of sneaks, stealths off to be by himself for a moment. Um pike finds him tries to put basilisk blood on him that is nothing it hasn't been it's been too long since he was petrified for the basilisk blood to work so she casts greater restoration i will point all of you back to the fact that i said previously he was missing his right arm at the elbow (laughs) (laughs) because pike forgot about that (laughs) and so it was very much a no, no, no. Wait. Oh, wait. I'm alive. Ah! As he begins bully- spouting blood from his elbow.
1: <laughs> As you do.
0: As yep. you do when you get unpetrified, missing an arm. Uh, really quick, I'm curious. Uh, so, the two of you, when you're GMing, what sort of rules for un- for unpetrifying people do you go by?
2: So, if you unpetrify a headless statue, it's dead. Hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, generally because you know why? Because <laughs> it, it doesn't have a head. head,
2: right? Um. So there are there are two schools of thought on this that I have encountered frequently. One is either this. It's basically is the stump peeled over or not. Um and generally that's how it goes uh, I prefer this method of you know hey there's an, a huge open wound there and if you find the arm and reattach it then there's at least a chance if not guaranteed that they come back with their arm intact if you don't find the arm and reattach it, they're missing part of their arm when they come up with the ensuing physical trauma that results from that sort of thing. Because as far as that body is concerned, this is a fresh wound. The last yep. time I was flesh, I had this arm. Immediately after becoming flesh again, the arm is gone. Therefore, there is a shit ton of blood.
0: Hmm. Jerry? Yep. <laughs> it's pretty much the same. Yeah, the, uh... I mean, yeah, that's
1: that 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 that's physics of turning to stone and turning off of stone. Yeah, I. That's I, how it works.
0: I I operate on I operate on the Doctor Stone principle, which is basically if you put the pieces back together and sort of yeah. gl- glue them back together, however you can and then unpetrify, it all unpetrifies together and it's all fused back together and it's a whole body. If you don't, then those pieces are missing.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. No, that's fair.
0: So, like, if you have a headless statue and you want to unpetrify it, put the head back on, duct tape it on however best you can, and then then cast Greater Restoration. Right.
2: Um, and, you know, there, there are spells that can allow one to regrow lost you might want to look into those if this sort of thing is going to happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Tyriok wakes back up, sands one arm, gushing blood. The party immediately sort of, except for Vax, uh, sort of convenes on him to try to help and, and stop the bleeding and help get him out of the snow. Uh, uh, Pike heals his arm, uh, which which causes it to stop bleeding and to sort of start to scab back over. And they sort of both explain to and get information from Tyriok. Uh, he had been coming, uh, actually, he had been coming north, uh, up from the fr- from the mountains that they were traveling to, uh, going around the mountain while mapping, uh, wh- and he had been heading out with a pair of armed, with a pair of armed guards as escorts when he got ambushed by basilisks and doesn't remember much beyond that. Uh, the party, uh, Pike sort of, as, as he's digging around, he finds his other arm, uh and the bag it was holding that contained all of his maps which are all still currently stone pike feels bad scanlan convinced scanlan and grog very hastily go no no that's not your arm that's that's somebody else's um <laughs> uh, and and he starts to you you you're sort of able to tell that tiryoch the the, the 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 shock of the event hasn't worn off and tiryoch hasn't actually stopped to think about what's happened to him yet and before he's able to do that, you know, Scanlan Scanlan very helpfully says, uh, suggests, "Hey, who's got two thumbs and is really excited? You and me, if we do this, because uh, <laughs> Scanlan is still the worst."
2: Which, the worst.
0: which oddly enough, with a, with a high charisma roll, makes Tyriok feel a little better about the fact that he's alive, and he thanks them yeah. for he thanks them for saving them. And the group then has to decide what to do with him. They 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 first suggest that maybe sending him back to the encampment that they had just, that they had left earlier uh, on his own before then reconsidering and suggesting that perhaps he leads them to the orcs that they're looking for. Uh, and then they can get him back to the, to the camp with the people that they rescue. Uh, after discussing this for a little bit, they eventually decide that that's the route they're going to take. Meanwhile, Vax has stealthed away, not, not, Completely away from the group, far enough away that he can still hear them going, hear them going on, and hear all the shenanigans happening, but that he's not visible to them and not audible to them if he's talking quietly. Um, where he sort of, sort of goes by himself and out into the vast snowy wilderness that he's in, just sort of asks for clarification about what it is he's supposed to do from the Raven Queen. And in response, the Raven Queen gives him a vision. Uh, a vision of the Temple of the Raven Queen in... Fuck, name of the place that the Temple of the Raven Queen Vasselheim? is. I just Vasselheim. said it a minute ago. Yeah, Vassalheim. Thank you. I don't know why I can't remember Vasselheim, but uh shows him a, shows him a mental image of the Temple of the Raven Queen in Vassalheim. Be- uh, I don't
2: know why you can't remember Vasselheim Because it's, hey, what if there was an entire city, but it was all church?
0: <laughs> so, Atlanta? Um... Uh but yeah, uh so the Raven Queen's Temple in Vasselheim, and specifically a pool of blood in the Raven Queen's Temple in Vasselheim, seeming to indicate that he should go there, though with no actual clear audible text. Um and then the vision ends, and he thanks her for the not useful vision. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. But before we end, I do want to talk to you guys about. The 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 concept of higher powers communicating in vague terms, because that is a that is a that is a that is a traditional storytelling trope dating mm. all the way back to the Bible,
1: because that's how God should communicate,
0: and before that too. I was actually to think about it. Um, so yeah, why 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 do you think that is?
2: Because I'll tell you why. <laughs>
1: There are very good reasons for that in terms of narrative. Jeremy first. Narratively, because if the gods are very specific and tell you all the information, why is there a story and why do we care about what the characters do? If they're they're not literally just, oh, I now have all the answers and this is how I am told to win. So this is what I do. There's no stakes. Mm hmm. Narratively, that is the number one reason. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. in terms of there, there's a lot more to that because you know how we view gods within within narrative storytelling is 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 very very even uh-huh. when it's you know completely fictional deities like without, deities without a real world equivalent. I guess would be the better way to put that. Um, it, 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 They still relate to how we see our own deed. Just like, you know, the, the you always find something relatable to you within the story. That's how you connect to a story. Mm-hmm. Our relationship with deities and with religion <clears throat> is based on on faith, which at its core is based on the idea of trusting in mystery. Therefore, that's how we're, that's, it's going to be relatable to us that if a God's doling out information being a pseudo-exposition dump, it's going to be in a way that that does not give us all the answers, still requires a lot of faith, and also allows the author or the players or or what have you to insert, you know, significant narrative uh, uh, conventions like symbolism and foreshadowing and, uh, you know all of these narrative storytelling tools that that add depth and context to story.
0: Jack? Yeah.
2: Uh, very similar to what Jeremy said. <clears throat> in, in terms of what makes a god, generally you've got two key aspects to it. It's something that is very that is similar but different to you, and it is something that is separated from you by at least a couple orders of magnitude. So there's there's a connection of like but unlike in most cultural depictions of anything that would be classified as a deity. Um, When something is operating on a different level... There is going to be fundamentally and innately a level of divergence, no pun intended uh, <laughs> from us as the standard living species and point of view to this thing that is operating on a level f- us. <clears throat> And people will explain it in narrative in different ways. The idea that if a god actually spoke to you clearly and plainly the way you would speak face to face to somebody on your own level, your brain would explode. So they keep that distance through the mystery. And that is actively a way of them honestly being able to communicate in a method that doesn't completely fracture your mind. Spinning it back to a more real world. Most basis of religion is founded at least in part in an effort to explain that which currently to the people group is unexplainable or at least unknown as to what the mechanics or, or purposes or reasons behind whatever phenomena they're looking at are. Um, plus, there's usually a fair bit of drug use involved. So, you know, that. And when you have these developing aspects of historical faith-based movements, there's a lot of secrecy and mystery already inculcated and heavily baked in from the jump. So it's logical that that would continue to be a consistent aspect and ingredient moving forward because the more you explain, and this is oversimplifying some very nuanced philosophical concepts, but the more you know what's going on, the less you need religion anyway. To an extent.
0: So... So for me, I f- <laughs> when I when I'm when I'm writing deities in, in for games, uh, I like to take the, the I, I, I have a different understanding of the term unknowable. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, typically you know, typically you'll hear God is an unknowable entity, whatever, whatever. Uh, as an I- the idea of that being that you can't contact them. Like, you can't... You, you can't... You can't know them. You cannot be in their presence. I like to read that as... You cannot understand them. <laughs> right. They operate on a fundamentally different scale and perspective. So much so that even when they attempt to communicate to you... As you might communicate to one another... It comes off as weird. Or right. odd you'll mm-hmm. you'll notice every you'll notice every time every time you guys in in grand terra ever met a god they were off in some way shape or form yeah. like something they were doing didn't make sense or just wasn't right because not only are you unknowable to not only are they unknowable to you you're kind of unknowable to them they're not they're not certain they're not sort of they're not hundred percent certain why you do the things you do. So they emulate without knowing. And so the god of the seas will sit there spearfishing casually from the side of a boat for no reason because that's what you do. <laughs> right. Um and and so right. with with that with that idea in mind. The reason why the messages are vague and unhelpful is because they don't know how, you, how they don't they can't know what is helpful to you. They can
2: know, their context is fundamentally different exa- from your context.
0: Exactly. And so they have to they they give you what they think is enough. And mm-hmm. and it never is. Right. Well, and
2: and to an extent that is a that is an interesting variance, and all in terms of real-world mythologies and religions and that sort of things, these, of course, exist on a gradient, so it's not like there are clear and distinct categories that everything falls into. But yeah. on the far end of when you're talking about the unknowability or inaccessibility of a deity, on one end you've got the sort of standard westernized Judeo-Christian god is holy and you cannot exist in his presence without being you know incinerated or some shit because you're a bad person or whatever but anyway melting raiders style right yeah there's that aspect of you are fundament because of our nature as beings you are fundamentally separated from god in in an more or less irreconcilable fashion And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, yes, the gods are different in a slightly more, in a more like kind of what I would say, at least in my limited experience, a more pagan animistic side of things. It's not necessarily that God is beyond you, but more like what you were talking about, John. God is God or the spirits or whatever are just extremely different from you. We all exist as components of this great universal fabric of course but their threads run in a different direction to our threads and so even though we exist more or less in the same reality everything is just perceptually and contextually different almost in a sort of change in the lost fey kind of way which causes a still significant but like you said very different type of disconnect between the mortal and the deity
0: yeah it's it's the equivalent of like the equivalent of trying to match the perspective of an ant right not, and not not even the queen ant like a worker ant- mm-hmm. like we there, there's absolutely no way that anything we could communicate to a worker ant would come across the way we intended it to come across <laughs> right. Other than stepping or, on them, or even in a
2: way that where we're we're talking about ant concepts that we're aware of, but because of our means of expression, isn't getting through.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then and then mm-hmm. even even most even assim- again next to that, we're just unable to comprehend how certain aspects of worker ants work. Like mm-hmm. we can scientifically determine it, but as a species, we can't understand it. Right. That's sort of that's sort of how I view the the, mm-hmm. the disconnect yeah. from a literary right. perspective.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and I think that that the variance there is why sometimes because you'll have those narratives as well where the god for whatever reason basically concentrates themselves into as much of a human aspect as they can and literally is just walking around and talking like your average individual human while still clearly having some level of godness to them so morgan freeman jesus christ but you know yeah right that's right of thing. right morgan freeman right right yeah no morgan. no morgan freeman was god not right <laughs> but 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 still the very humanized god and yeah. because that's that weird hybrid and subversion of the trope that can either be very impactful or just go over like a lead balloon and 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 while it's while it's an easy way to try and sidestep that unknowability, you have to be careful how you do it. Otherwise it's just gonna be like it it's either going to come across as dumb or lame or weird rather than the the emotionally impactful aspect that you might be pushing for.
0: Yeah, how do you guys feel about like the um the uh the uh it was it was uh it was uh uh duh, blah, blah 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 why can't i think of the actor's name who played the mask and was it is a big comedian jim carrey
2: thank you bruce almighty yeah the
0: like the bruce almighty slash the i think it was steve carell with the noah one uh
1: don't talk about that one that one does not exist
0: <laughs> representation fuck that,
1: movie. fuck that movie so hard that yeah
0: can't walk representation of god as morgan freeman literally handing you the information you need on a at his whim basis
1: eh, i would disagree with that assessment of that god I, I don't think he hands i don't think he hands bruce anything i think he gives bruce the position that he has and then let Bruce figure it out and learn the appropriate lessons on his own. Never once does 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 Morgan Freeman God give Bruce Jim Carrey's character the answer. Yeah, verbatim.
0: No, I, mm-hmm. I was more I was more referring to he appears and is a knowable yeah. figure in the form of Morgan Freeman. Right.
2: <laughs> as far as that goes, I always felt like that was a very zeitgeist cultural reaction to just honestly reality as it stood during the what was that late 90s
0: um early early 2000s
2: yeah early 2000s okay but but the, the 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 place that the culture was in at that point for instance, you didn't see God generally portrayed that way in pop culture even twenty or thirty years prior. Uh, it, it happened. Was getting there. Oh but... God, you devil. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was he played by maybe? Maybe, Freeman? maybe I'll pull, Maybe I'll pull a slightly more distant than. Yeah. Because when because when I'm thinking of you know portrayal of God and that sort of thing, you've got for instance. Uh fucking what's what's the Christmas movie with Jimmy Stewart? It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. Fuck Wait, that where, movie too. Um uh, <laughs> uh, where you know the 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 deity figures, granted, God yeah. doesn't show up there, but some archangels do. And they're literally just pictures of fucking galaxies that are having little flashy lights behind them to show which one's talking when. Right. You know. Um the idea that that God is literally just another dude fucking around, which is honestly kind of a simplistic, but I would say not entirely inaccurate analysis uh, or, or summarization of the God character almighty. I'd say that's a reaction to the cultural consciousness at the
0: time. Jeremy.
1: Um, I always, I I always really appreciated that 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 portrayal because for a couple of reasons. Uh one, if there was anybody who was perfect to cast as God, it would be Mark Freeman. Well, yeah, uh, he narrates everything for us in our heads. Um, but but more specifically, I, I didn't necessarily. My read of him was not necessarily of one who was. My read of him was somebody... Okay, I have sort of an off-interpretation of that film. My interpretation of that film is that A, this is far from the first time that, that God has done this, what happens in the film. B, he did not specifically give... Bruce God powers on a cosmic level. He gave them in a very specific and a very controlled area. <laughs> and it was just his way to me, and it is a very humanizing way to look at God. But I always compared this with that version of God, God as somebody who. In the last couple, three thousand years, has learned something from the Job debacle. And has learned delightful. that the way to get a doggy started on that story. Um, <laughs> the 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 way to to I got kicked out of a church because of that story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Um, <laughs> when I was twelve. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it, it was. It was. A God who this is his way of sort of get, you know, he doesn't do it with everybody. But this is a way to get through to somebody who is suffering from a crisis of faith without giving them the answers, without uh, um, without uh, uh, doing the the Old Testament. Bullshit. And it is very, I guess the best way I would describe it is it's a very new agey interpretation of God. Where, or a very hippie interpretation of God. Where it's like, yes, you go find the answers yourself. I know all the answers and I could tell you, but you're not going to learn that way because. I've seen what you people do for the last several thousand years. Go, 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 do your thing. When you come back with it, when you have the answers, come back to me.
0: Uh, I do, um, uh, as a side note, I, I do like Morgan Freeman as God, but he is my third favorite God. Is the
2: Alanis Morissette your
0: favorite God? No, of course. no, Francis McDormand is my favorite God. Okay. okay,
1: no, 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 that's a good point. That's a real good point. Ooh, you know, I got to <laughs> give it to Francis because... Francis McDormand God talks, and and Alanis Morissette God
0: does not. Uh, no, my 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 uh, my my first favorite God, my first favorite God is is Francis McDormand. Uh, my second favorite God is Chuck uh, from Supernatural.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's a real good God.
0: He's a real, no, he's a real shitty God, and that's why I like
1: him. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. He's a real good portrayal of God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So he goes, goes, Francis McDormand, Chuck Shirley, and then Morgan Freeman.
2: (laughs) See, here's the thing. And in terms of narrative, at least. Old Testament God, I feel, gets a bad rap. (laughs) Old Testament God is a dick. I will give you that. I will never argue the fact that Old Testament God is a dick. But at least with Old Testament God, you know where you fucking stand. He turned Lot's wife into salt. <laughs> he did a lot of worse things to a lot more people. Yeah, he did. I'm just yes, saying, he did. Lot's wife into the salt is like fucking Let light me say work. The small name small fucking he potatoes. turned.
0: He turned Lot's wife into salt because she looked backwards. Let yeah, me say because the she name looked again, over John her shoulder.
1: Job. <laughs>
2: fucking job debacle but at least with old testament god he's not fucking around and you don't have any you've got very little guesswork comparatively
0: assume assume not good
1: right yeah that's the problem i would rather have guesswork than old testament god yeah Uh, Old Testament God feels like if he's having a bad day, he's gonna pull out his microscope or his his his,
2: his magnifying uh, glass magnifying and just burn some fuckers. Yeah, right.
1: burn some motherfuckers. And I don't want to be in his in, in, in under the scope.
0: I feel like saying, as I, feel, I happen to I be fe- there. I feel like Old Testament God gets exactly the bad rap he deserves. <laughs> but at least he's simple. Yeah, yeah. S- simple in an unknowably-I-might-die-any-second way. <laughs> capricious
2: is still simple. Right. Arbitrary and capricious, at least you know what you're in for.
0: I... I f- <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> This is
1: me! I love that he just completely broke God's brain.
0: <sighs> so Vax gets a useless message from the Raven Queen. <laughs> and that's where we end for the week. <sighs> the fuck is the name of the next episode? <laughs>
1: Uh, A name, and is name is earned
0: <laughs> we'll and let me
1: tell you I'm gonna have some thoughts about that <laughs> fucking episode.
0: So if if we haven't made it clear previous to this uh we are going bi-weekly on our recording and on our publishing of critical thinking episodes. uh the l- one before this one or the one two before this one should have been the start of that. Um where, where they've started to be released uh uh bi weekly every other week. Um the part of the reason we're doing that is because there's a lot of critical role to watch. And Yep there is. It's hard. And
2: for
1: example, you know where the last time I watched any new critical role was?
0: I can't remember the last time I watched New Critical Role. Right? <laughs> Uh, for that but also because we're going to we are going to in not, not immediately but in the near future we're going to be expanding out the the purview of critical thinking. Uh we, we have heard your responses and that you enjoy hearing us talk about stupid shit. So we are going to be expanding the purview of critical role to to, to cover other stupid shit than just critical thinking just we're going to sorry.
1: expand the types of stupid shit that we talk uh, about. We yes. yeah,
0: expand the purview of critical thinking, not the purview of critical role. But yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk well, about These days, we'll
2: be allowed to expand the purview of Critical Role. And in that moment, we will
0: have. Yeah, amen. So, in the near future, look forward to a video series on youtube of critical thinking when we talk about uh, movies uh tv shows comic books books uh manga anime video games uh we're going to be taking we're going to be taking our literary analysis and uh tangent machine and pointing it at the whole of pop culture in general and just seeing what happens uh, so look forward to that 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 we'll be recording those sort of in the in the off weeks between these and I'll be editing them which is why we're we'll have a, a slightly longer uh, 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 frame of time around those but uh, look forward to those uh, and yeah that's coming in the next couple of months I'd say yeah um, yep so so I look forward to that on the YouTube channel uh, there's a survey currently pinned to our Twitter account, it's going to be pinned there for a month or so probably uh, that uh, is asking questions about critical the future of critical thinking, please feel free to go and fill that survey out let us know what you think, let us know your ideas and we will uh, be back in your ears in two weeks time uh, say bye, everybody Bye, everybody. Goodbye.